Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, Joystick Wagglers. It's Luke Owen here from Under Consultation, and we are nearing the end of Series 3, which means we're closing in on our end of Series wrap-up, and we want to hear from you. What have you made of this detour little series of two halves, the very divisive series of Games Master? What have been your highlights? What have been your lowlights? Let us know by sending us either written or MP3 thoughts to feedback at underconsultation.com before May first. That's feedback at underconsultation.com. Get in touch. Right, let's get on with the show. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championships. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and get skitching, dudes. Ooh, and together we'll be the Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, sky's the limit, space is the place, Luke Owen and Ash versus Yeah! This, oh, there's gonna be a lot of that on this episode. This, you had the, you did the fingers and everything. I've been practicing my Macho Man impression, and the problem is, I've actually, as you can hear, my throat has mm. gone because I wanted it to be good, and I practiced yeah. it too much, and so now it's shit. Yeah, I had the same thing. I had today. I had a moment where I was like, "Can I? Can I do the intro in a Macho Man voice?" And I was just like, "Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championships." The problem is sometimes I slide into Sid, and just like, and that, that's, and I, <laughs> would you go on to be the master and the ruler of the universe? And so I, I slide in, so I had to stop myself. And I was like, "No, I'll just do it regular." And you never want to slide into Sid. Well, no. <laughs> There's a terrifying mental image. Moving on. <laughs> this episode aired on the first... <coughs> See, that's what happens when you do the Macho Man impression. And I'm going to leave that bit in as an important safety lesson. 
<clears throat> this episode aired on the 1st of February 1994. D-Ream are still top of the pops, but we have a new number one at the box office. It's Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire. To put his family back together, Daniel Hillard needed a job. Do you have any special skills? I do voices. Yeah! Nancy and I are still looking for the other half of my head. Look at me right now, money penny. Want to undo that bow and get to know you. Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? I used to. And a decent home for his kids. How do you like it? Can't you just tell Mom you're sorry? But he found a way. I'm placing an ad for a housekeeper. Housekeeper? Could you make me a woman? To have both. Wow. Let's pray. Hello? You for Janiah, don't fire. Papa's got a brand new bed. Speaking of funky like a monkey, oh, man, this, this film, mm-hmm. it's such a good film, which is amazing, because when you look at the premise on paper, which is divorced dad impersonates an aging Scottish nanny just so he can see his kids with prosthetics and almost like kind of... Do you remember the um, the crime thriller FX and FX2? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. It's just like this guy's using Hollywood effects to basically get around a divorce settlement. In many ways, this could either be a comedy or a horror movie. Well, yeah, because there was a, a video that went viral many, many years ago now that did recut this movie to be like a horror trailer and it's it's a really really great trailer actually there's a lot of movies that have tried well a lot of people who've tried to do it with other films other comedy films but none of them have worked quite as well as mrs doubtfire and i think the 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 film poster kind of actually plays into that because of course robin williams is under a bunch of prosthetics to make him look like an old scottish woman but it means that some of his like kind of more subtle facial expressions are lost and therefore on the cover for mrs doubtfire it could be a knowing smile it could be a sinister smirk it could be michael myers from halloween the only real bit that you can see that's got any intensity to it is his eyes Mm. and therefore uh, doubtfire becoming a horror film easy to believe going the other way shining is a great horror film into a comedy trailer that one i thought was done (laughs) really well didn't they use counting crows or something i think in the uh yeah, something like that yeah basically one of those shrek type songs yeah. that uh that doubtless would appear in all those kind of like family friendly movies around like that a point. smash mouth sort of thing yeah that 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 kind of stuff that we all kind of roll our eyes at but if it comes on we're bopping luke Oh, dude, my 90s playlist. While I don't have um, All-Star because, you know, I don't think you need All-Star on every playlist you have, Walking on the Sun will be on one and pretty much any playlist that I put together because that is a fantastic Smash Mouth song. Speaking of fantastic, Robin Williams is a tour de force in this movie, but not just him. Elsewhere in the film, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, Harvey Firestein, who I always think has... Uh, David's boss from Independence Day. David! Yeah, yeah. David! David! Uh, I mean, I was thinking of um, his small role that he had in The Simpsons as well, as the man who gets Homer Simpson, like, promoted up the chain and then takes the bullet for him when he's going to get fired. Oh my god, I'd forgotten that was him. Yeah, But yeah. Um, in this one, he's actually the the makeup guy. Well, I haven't seen it in a fan of years, but I think it's his brother. And yeah, he's the guy who works in, like, prosthetics and then does it for him. Now, it did get somewhat mixed critical reaction. 
but it also won the Academy Award for Best Makeup, it won a Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, and Robin Williams was awarded the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. So whilst the kind of print and media critics were mm, on it, the Academy liked it and the public loved it. $25 million budget, $441.3 million return. That's oh, a lot man. of bang. That's a lot of dough right there. And going back to the makeup itself, much like a lot of prosthetics of that day and age, and in fact, perhaps slightly quicker than some, it took four hours to apply. And Williams used to just kind of wear it throughout the shooting day. He'd walk through San Francisco dressed up and in full makeup as Mrs. Doubtfire. But he'd also do things like go into a sex shop to buy a (laughs) massive dildo and other various toys and just kind of, I guess, not only use that um, that visage to hide in plain sight, but also to fuck with people a little bit. Yeah, that's a very Robin Williams thing to do. Because that's the people that, who tell the stories of this, is that Robin Williams was quite the practical joker. Although I'll be honest, in San Francisco, an old Scottish lady buying a massive dildo is not really going to cause any eyebrows to be raised. Oh, this no. was where the summer of love occurred. They've seen weirder stuff come free with their breakfast cereal. It's not even going to register on the scale because it's San Francisco and they have a very specific scale that registers quite often every time a tectonic plate moves. But the film was released in the US in November 93 and it got quite a quick release over here, but not without some controversy because it was released as a 12. That's right, it was, yeah. Because they refused to take like 10, 12 seconds of innuendo out. But what that meant was that families couldn't go and see it. They couldn't make the judgment call that would later be allowed by the 12A certificate or the PG certificate. So what you ended up with was you ended up with people writing in to local authorities asking them to overturn the BBFC, which has only happened a couple of times, and mostly it's the other way. And either that or it's the studios themselves, because like, you know, for the longest time, there wasn't a 12 rating. The 12 came into effect because of Batman, because Warner Brothers wanted to release the movie as is, but the BBFC, it was either going to be PG or 15. And they were like, well, it's it's certainly not a PG. It was too dark to be a PG, but it's not dark enough to be a 15. So the 12 got introduced off the back of it. Interesting enough, though, what I found fascinating about this, because I, I did my, my university dissertation was on the BBFC. They introduced the 12th certificate for cinemas but not for vhs not for home entertainment so batman still got released as a 15 on home entertainment because their argument is it's easier for a child to buy something in a shop than it is for them to get into a cinema which i i found like a it, it, it's a it's a not a great argument but it was the argument that they had when i asked them about this i had a way easier time getting into a cinema underation i did buying videos it's also interesting as well. This is way off topic now, but it's something that I, I don't know when we'll ever get a chance to talk about this again. But films don't get reclassified unless they get resubmitted with changes. So Batman will always remain a 15 on home entertainment in the UK, despite the fact that you know it was a 12 in cinema and 12 exists on home entertainment because Warner Brothers have not submitted a new cut of Burton's Batman. So it will, even if it, gets, if it gets released tomorrow, it will be a 15 again, which I find so funny when they did the Clerks 
DVD release, Clerk's X. My love for you is like a truck bell Well, Clerk's, when it was classified in the UK, was an 18 certificate. Uh, when it was released in 1994, um, and then obviously in Home Entertainment in 95, got an 18 certificate. Clerks X has a new cut of the film, has the director's cut of the film, which has got way more swearing in it and violence, because spoilers, at the end of the film, Dante dies. But because that was a new cut and standards had changed, that gets passed at a 15. So if you open up the Clerks X set, Clerks, the theatrical cut, is an 18, but the, uh, the director's cut is a 15 certificate. It's absolutely bonkers, especially because, like, I think clerks should just remain an 18 certificate. I mean, I saw it when I was under 18, but I would definitely say it deserves the 18 rating just for that video list. Yeah, I was going to say that was the the, the, the moment that gives them eyebrow. But the argument is it's done in jest. Like, it, it's done to for comedy. Like, there's no one. So I asked them about this because um, saying this, dropping a C-bomb is an automatic 18 certificate, depending on how it's delivered. So if you say, you can't, then it's an 18 certificate. However, in the Shaun of the Dead example in all of this, which is a 15 certificate, because he said, can I get any of you can't drink? That's a 15. What I thought would have turned it over wasn't so much the fact that the word can't was said for comic effect. It's the fact that it was said in the implied presence of a minor. And also in the context of being pornography, like because it's Randall just listing off all the most filthy and lurid pornographic titles and then right at the end, happy scrappy hero pups. Yeah, the uh, the argument is, it's because it's not directed at someone because he's not saying it, he's not calling the girl those words. He's just saying those words. So it gets passed at the 15. Very, very interesting stuff. But anyway, do you want to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire again? I, the only thing I'd say is you talked about resubmitting, uh, getting a different rating. So steering the ship back into Ritalin Bay and getting on target, <laughs> they did reach a compromise where 10 to 12 seconds were excised from the film. The sexual innuendos were gone. They got a PG rating. That cut version was also the version released on VHS and DVD, but skip forward 20 years. The uncut version was resubmitted. It once again got a 12 certificate for home release, but got a 12A for if it would be reissued or reshown in the cinema. So taking advantage of that there. And then on March 4th, 2013, the uncut version was finally released on Blu-ray and for digital download in the UK. So it took about 20 years, but it got there. And now the uncut yeah. version is the version that's available. Kind of a similar path to Ninja Turtles with the nunchucks. Yes. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. we didn't get the uncut version of that until either, I think, the second or third DVD version, and certainly the Blu-ray. And even then, we got off lightly on that because I've got the German Blu-ray of the first Ninja Turtle movie. They include some of the original German replacements, which not only include weapons being trimmed out, but comedy Batman-style sound effects on the impacts. Absolutely amazing to see. So uh, I highly recommend, if you're interested in that, um, YouTube a chap called Phalus. If you can get past his voice, which I, I, I think is a bit chalk and it's a bit Marmite, but I, I quite like his video stuff. But he did a really good side-by-side -side comparison of pretty much like every cut of Ninja Turtles and all the various differences uh, that are out there. It's a really, really cool video uh, if, you're, if you are interested in that sort of thing. Mrs. Doubtfire was actually in the news quite recently because there was this sort of rumor that started to circulate around off the back of the Snyder Cuts being released of Justice League that there's an R-rated version of Mrs. Doubtfire. And 
th- this was kind of shot down by some uh, like a lot of industry insiders. Um, I know that like Drew McQueenie was like he was so annoyed that this was starting to like get the rounds and it was like you know getting some traction because he was like, look, an R-rated version of this movie does not exist. Like, there's no vault that just has R-rated cuts of movies. Like, it's not a real thing. However, the director Chris Columbus confirmed very very recently, like last month. Yeah, there is an R-rated cut of the of the movie out there. Like, there's just uh, somewhere there exists an R-rated version of Mrs. Doubtfire, and it is cut together. Now, I don't know about the existence of an R-rated cut, but I do know that over like 30 minutes of scenes were cut from the film, including a lot of Robin Williams being Robin Williams, but also including like an entire plot point to do with a feud between Robin Williams and a nosy neighbor. And a lot of those scenes were included, I think, on the DVD and possibly the Blu-ray release. And so it would be possible somewhere down the line, maybe not an R-rated cut, but maybe an extended cut. I'm sure someone actually, because there's so many fan edits out there. I'm sure if I went to Google, someone has actually integrated some of those scenes and plot points back into the film. Speaking of the film, there was a desire to make a sequel And Robin Williams was signed up for it, but it kept getting pushed back because they couldn't write a decent script. And every time they submitted one, Robin Williams was the guy going, no, I'm only going to do it if it's right, which I've got a lot of respect for him for. The last attempt did have him on board. I believe it also had Chris Columbus on board. However, sadly, Robin took his own life. And like many projects, they just respectfully shelved it and let that one go. The only project that is still, I believe, in development hell is Mrs. Doubtfire the Musical. And the only other thing to add is that it was the film debut of Mara Wilson, who was the very, very young daughter in the movie and became quite the child star of the 90s with Miracle on 34.3 and, of course, Matilda. She's got an excellent autobiography out there now uh, called Where Am I Now? Um, And I highly recommend it because it's a real awesome insight into what it was like to be a child actor uh, particularly in the 90s also i thought i'd point out in the uh, the film charts that this week jurassic park celebrates its 30th week in the uk box office and has currently made 35 million pounds so well done to jurassic park and in the big game release sonic 3 is released tomorrow february 2nd in north america we get it later on in the month and it gets reviewed in episode 25 of games master and also in world news green day released their seminal album dookie oh i remember that album turning up and starting to circulate although i don't think just yet i think it wasn't like i didn't become aware of it until i guess the summer Mm -hmm. yeah just because even with music there was still serious lag between uh yeah, totally. between american and european releases now i've got a lot of fondness for I, I i think it might be my favorite it's probably still my favorite green day album um although i have a lot of love for nimrod i i think it is an absolute belter and there's some tracks on there that really do hold up and have stood the test of time meanwhile in the magazine i have the new issue of games master magazine it's the february 94 issue and look at that cover luke doesn't that just scream mediocrity Oh, it's not good, is it? Although I do see Mortal Kombat 2 teased on there and something that's Sonic related. I'm going to assume that's Sonic 3. And also some innuendo at the bottom. Uh, Soft and hard. I had to read that backwards because your camera's found been flipped. Ah, I see. Well, well done for reading it backwards. It's no wonder the Room of the Future competition was no challenge for either (laughs) of us, really. But I'm just going to pick a couple of little highlights or possibly even lowlights from the network news section. The first is, for £2 you can get an accessory for your Game Boy called the Box Boy. Okay. Do you want to guess what it is? 
Um, I'm trying to think what the box boy would be. I actually, I have zero clue. Well, right. Imagine a cardboard box for your Game Boy. Mm. That's it. But, okay, but like, well, this is what I'm thinking, because I was going to say, well, is it just a Game Boy in a box? But then I was like, but then how do you play the Game Boy? Or like, how does it make the Game Boy more playable? Oh, I don't think it makes it more playable. It's got cutout for the buttons, the D-pad and the screen. And essentially, each one is themed on a game or a movie. So it's a case. But made out of paper or cardboard. Hmm. It's basically, a. you could probably achieve the same thing with a fish finger packet and a pair of scissors. Yeah. They cost $1.99 each. So it's not exactly an expensive accessory. It's like less than the cost of this magazine. And in fairness, they show a Jurassic Park one, which looks better than the cover of this magazine. So (laughs) they say that the boxes are each based on an individual game and up to four different boxes a month are being released to keep you up to date. As to whether people want to own loads of these things is anyone's guess. I don't remember them, so I'm guessing the answer was no. Yeah, I have no memory of that whatsoever. In the bullshit category, we've got the rumour that the home version of Mortal Kombat 2 will not include the death moves of the game, Instead, gamers will, at the vital moment, be asked to spare their adversary's life. Should they fail to do so, a small electric current will be passed down the joypad to them. According to aversion therapy theorists, this will discourage a new generation of gamers from killing people. Oh, yeah, great. (laughs) I was going to say, electric shocks. Every time I get to the final round of a game of Mortal Kombat, that's going to make me more pissed and angry. One that throws back to last time we talked about snack foods. A note to say, check at the supermarket because HP have launched some Sonic-shaped pasta pieces for you to eat, which they say ties in with the Sonic crisps we saw a few issues ago. Anyway, they're available now, so pop down to your local supermarket and find them. I remember those pasta pieces very, very well. I have very vivid memories of those because I had them. Well, they've got two variants here. We've got pasta pieces in tomato sauce and pasta pieces with sausages in tomato sauce. I didn't have it with the sausages, but I certainly remember getting the pasta shapes. Now, baked beans and sausages in a can, sure. Pasta and sausages, texturally, that just feels like minging, I think is the best word I can think of. It feels like deconstructed ravioli. Are we looking at avant-garde cuisine, but with Sonic branding? (laughs) Maybe. But one last bit of news for now before we move on to the episode, and it's a mention of our good old friends, Danny Curley and Dominic Diamond. But, oh, this magazine still has an axe to grind. Yeah, you kind of, you told me about this before we started recording, and it's not, it's not nice. No, and I would like to just precede this statement by saying, these are not beliefs that I hold. <laughs> so with the heading of win one of ten power play videos with Danny, Fatboy, Curly, and Dominic, who? Diamond. They're great in everything, packed with loads of games, tips, and stuff. Answer this question and send your entries on a postcard to Les at the usual Games Master address quite soon. And the question is, why is Danny Curley so fat and hopeless at games? I I mean, I'm just going to sort of move aside from the sort of the nastiness of that that piece there. But at least I can now, you know, it does put some kind of like timeline perspective into Powerplay because like, despite what I've I've looked into it over the years since we've been doing this, but I've never like found much about it. Now that we are on speaking terms with Dom and we do get to talk with him at some point very soon, I kind of do want to ask him about Powerplay and see if he does remember anything about it because like I couldn't even find like when it was released or anything like that. So at least now we've kind of got a bit more of a sense that it was 1994 because I wasn't I thought it might have been pre-series three because Danny Curley's still so much involved in it. 
But yeah, it's just a kind of nice to get a bit of like timeline placement of where power play comes. Yeah, I'm hoping there will be content in the book about it because we already know that the kind of wilderness year for Dominic is covering a lot of other things that he was working on and other projects he was trying to get off the ground. So I'm I'm hopeful that there are some recollections there. And yeah, maybe maybe we can find out a bit more if not. Hello and welcome to the Games Master Team Championship. Right. It's the last final heat before the semi-finals start next week. So our three teams tonight will be slogging it out against each other for an elusive position in the semi-finals. Good luck to all of them. Also, we'll be revealing the names of the winners of the Room of the Future competition. And that could be you, so keep watching, all right? Well, it's the last heat of the team championships. We are here, and this crowd is tired. This is the most lethargic i think that you can tell that we're at the end of a filming day here because these kids they're done they're tuckered out and it says a lot when given the celebrity we've got coming up later that they need motivating because i would be losing my shit throughout this entire experience knowing who's coming up it's the last heat before the semis luke the end is in sight and i am both happy and sad yeah I, i i don't quite know how i feel uh, about the uh, coming to the end of Series 3 and coming to the end of the team championships. It's odd because we had two seasons of Games Master in its original form, half a season of Games Master mostly in its original form, but with a new host. And then we've had this weird kind of half a season in a basement yeah with very poor audio mixing doing the series wrap-up is going to be a very very interesting thing I'll, I'll put it that way i know i use the word interesting a lot when talking about this show and talking about this podcast but i am very interested to see what the, the listener feedback will be and actually what my own feedback will be when i kind of sit down and look at it as a whole i'm interested to find out your justification for the use of the word interesting so much <laughs> Very sorry about that. But you can tell that the crowd is like pretty quiet because Dex is is shoutier than usual because consummate professional that he is, he's trying to get them riled up. He's trying to get them excited. So Dex is having to give way more prompts this episode than he usually does. You know, fair play to him. I think he does he does all right, but like, yeah, this this crowd are they're quite tired now. This team's called Boy Force. What's your name? My name's Chris and I'm the team captain. Chris, team captain? Phil Parrish. Phil. Andre. Andre, right. So you're battling it out for a place in the semi-finals. How do you think you're going to do tonight? Oh, I think we could do pretty well. Yeah. All right, well, good luck to all of you guys. Give them a big cheer. Come out here. Laser Force. This is Laser Force. Here they are. What's your names? Where are you from? John from Colchester. John from Colchester. Team captain? Yep. Sean. Sean. James. James. Now, you've all got your arms folded. You all look very serious. Uh, you're not going to be intimidated by the other teams then? Them? You must be joking. <laughs> All right, then, we'll give this team a big cheer and we're going to meet the last team. Yeah! Well done. Yeah! All right, mate, yeah, lovely. Come out. They're the Questers. Final team this evening are called the Questers. What are your names? Andrew Bersford and I'm from Sutton Carfield. Andrew's from Sutton Carfield. Robert McDonald from Sutton Carfield. Right. Uh, Robert Bersford from Sutton Carfield. Robert. OK, then, guys, you've heard the other two teams. They look pretty serious this evening. Uh, what do you think your chances are? Um, very good. OK, well, good luck to you guys. Give him a big round of applause. But he does manage to elicit a bit of a cheer from them when he says, let's go and meet the teams. Not so much the crowd goes wild as the crowd goes mild, but it's it's enough of a reaction. They do react when he tells them to react. Like during the intros of each of these teams where he'll be like, you know, the Valley Force will interview these, they've got very little to say. And then he'll just turn to the crowd and be like, give them a cheer. And the crowd go, hey, then they go dead quiet again. 
interviews the next lads. Who are you? I'm this. I'm that. I haven't really got much to say. Give them a cheer. Hey, they are they are responsive to his calls. It's Pavlovian. Yes. Dex says, cheer, I get a sweetie. That's what it is. That's what it very feels like. Our three teams, Fowey Force, Laser Force, and the Questers. All of them don't really have a lot to say, although I do like that Laser Force have a gimmick, which is they stand there with their arms folded and will go, Laser Force. And they're wearing their baseball caps back to front, Luke. And you know what that means? That means they're cool dudes you don't want to mess with. But it also means they've got some personality about them, which I can't say for the other teams. We've got the Questers, which at first I thought I'd accidentally flipped over and started watching an episode of Only Connect. It is a very kind of that kind of team name, but I guess you do go on quests in video games, so it makes sense. Not a lot to say on those, unfortunately, but we have got something to say about our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? My first challenge tonight is on the exciting skitchin for the Sega Mega Drive. Each contestant starts with six computer opponents ahead of him. The contestant who propels himself to the highest place in the race after 45 seconds will win the challenge and collect five points. I'll award two points to second place and zero to the loser. Get skitchin, dudes. Skitchin! I am being deadly serious when I say I did not know that this was a challenge on Games Master. Uh, when the whole Skitchen like gimmick started, uh, I didn't know it was a challenge. I didn't know it was coming up. I did. I d- honestly thought it would never come up in our timeline. I was so so thrilled that this was a challenge. Like I le- like I legit was just like sort of sat up in my seat to be like <gasps> Skitchen's on the show. Amazing. I'll be honest, I did know it was coming up, but I didn't mention it because I did just assume that you did. I had no idea. So we should probably talk about Skitchin a bit because we've never done that before, but it is a 94 racing game. It's an EA game. It's essentially using the Road Rash engine. Road Rash and rollerblades. Or roller skates, as Dex seems to think at time, (laughs) which I just kind of clipped the air near where his head would have been if he'd been in the room. It's like, no, mate, it's rollerblades. Come on, get with it. I know that this game is very special to you. So it's with some regret that I say it didn't get great reviews when it was released. Oh, no, it did not. No. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's not It's not a great game. It's, <laughs> it's a perfect. It's a perfectly fine game. I just absolutely love it. As we said, the game was repurposed from the Road Rash engine. It was developed by EA's Canadian division. And they did their research. They went to the skate ranch in Toronto where they were directed by Troy Mannering, the community's reputed best skater. They rented a warehouse and set up ramps and all sorts and then spent several days recording skating actions and manoeuvres and stunts and whatnot. And they were then rotoscoped old school into the game's character. Now, rotoscoping, for those that don't know, the best example I can give of it off the bat that you will have most likely seen is Snow White, the original Disney movie. Most all of the smooth dancing motions, like when Snow White is dancing around tidying up the dwarf's house, they filmed a woman doing that dancing, and then they rotoscoped her movements. And by rotoscoped, I essentially mean they traced. Yeah. The other one is lightsabers in the original Star Wars movies, 
they were all rotoscoped, but that was a bit more like adding a layer over the top rather than completely replacing the original motion. Uh, in video games, Prince of Persia, which we've talked about before, also did rotoscoping. But it does explain why the graphics are so good and move so well. I mean, I did play the game. I've got a Mega Drive Mini sat there and I did play it. I think rose-tinted spectacles probably do you a great service in this, and I kind of wish I had that because I wanted to enjoy it more than I did. But I did think the graphics moved very nicely and the animation was nice and smooth, and it is kind of fun grabbing onto the back of a truck and punching other people. Yeah, the music absolutely rocks as well. The music in the game is so, so good. Yeah, there's a lot of like fun stuff in there. You know, that the hanging on the back of the cars, the beating up people. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite work. I don't actually think the trick stuff works at all uh, in the game. And I don't think it's quite needed. I mean, there's all things like, you know, you can get arrested if you hold on to a cop car for too long, but you do want to hold on to the cop cars because you do get a dollar for every second that you hold on to one for. And you've got to try and time it right to let go before you do get arrested. So there, are, there is some fun stuff in there. But I wholly, you know, I hold my hands up. It is completely rose-tinted spectacles that I love this game so much. Now, amazingly, the game was not without its controversy because at the time that this was being developed and getting ready to go into production, there was, of course, the big debate about Mortal Kombat, violence in video games, so on and so forth, as well as the legality of the activities portrayed in the game. It's got a big warning at the start. And I guess because unlike other things like Sonic the Hedgehog or Streets of Rage, they're going, people might actually try and emulate this. I mean, years before this, we saw Michael J. Fox hanging onto the back of a truck in Back to the Future to hitch a ride. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I like this game so much, is it does remind me of that. It's such a cool moment. Although he has Huey Lewis in the news, which, yes, the soundtrack to this is great, but, but it's not Huey Lewis in the news, Luke. Mm, maybe. As you mentioned, it includes a disclaimer. They also edited the cartridge a number of times to remove imagery that could be considered gratuitous. And they also got in trouble for the title. They went onto the title Skitchin by basing it off the American kind of slang of bitchin being good. But some people decided to see that as a use of profanity and so on and so forth. So it kind of got a bit of a slamming on both sides of the pond. It got a bit of a bit of issues over here. Because at least one of the magazine adverts, and I think I've seen it in Games Master, is where it says skating, hitching, bitching, skitching. Mm. Yeah, it's an amazingly controversial game, but it is very cool to see it here on Games Master and to see it get its, uh, well, three times 45 seconds in the limelight. This is my biggest disappointment of the whole series, though. Because I love this game. I really, really do. I think it is so much fun and I've got a lot of nostalgic love for it. And I know it's become a bit of a meme for me on this podcast and a bit of a gimmick. And I've very much enjoyed that as well. But this challenge fucking sucks because like, I, so the challenge is you've got 45 seconds to try and get the further or the highest place you possibly can. Because you start in seventh. The idea is you try and get into the highest position you can within 45 seconds. But your first... 10 or so seconds there are no cars and without the cars you're never going to catch up with the other racers and what we end up with is three challenges where two of them 
absolutely bollocks it and then one of them does all right it's not the greatest advert i've ever seen for the game there you go the game is skitting with me is dave perry my old mate and general co-commentator here he is first up is chris husband of foy Falls. they're all the way from cornwall dave do you want to tell us a bit about his form well, Chris actually started playing when he was five years old. He's a proficient player. I mean, Chris is up first and he doesn't do bad to start with. He does manage to grab onto a car. He does manage to get to fifth position. But then it all goes a bit peak tong. And because he's let go of the car and there's now a gradient going up, he starts to slow down. And he literally falls back into seventh place as the clock hits zero. Yeah, he he ends where he started, essentially. But James is up next, and apparently he's completed sensible soccer on the Amiga, scoring at least five goals in every game. But he doesn't tell us who he was playing as or who he was playing against. Well, he's going to need roller skates, not football boots for this challenge. Which would mean something if they were roller skates in the game. Uh, They do a lot of that uh, throughout this challenge. It's confusing roller skates and roller blades. But like James from Laser Force does the exact same thing. Like it's funny enough, like the very first card that comes up by the moment it passes you, there's also an oil stick on the floor. So both James and Chris of the, the first challenge of this do the exact same thing, which is where they've got the handout ready for the car, then they hit the oil stick, which means they miss the first car that goes past them. It's only our next player, it's only Andrew, the questers, who doesn't fall into this trap, probably because he saw the other two do it first. But both of them hang onto the car and then use the car momentum to push themselves forward, which is totally valid. That's totally fine as a way to do it. But you can actually just hold onto the car. If you'd have just stayed on the car, you'd have got to first very, very quickly. But they've clearly been told by whoever it is during the day or like during practice, the way to play this game is you use the cars to propel yourself forward. Whereas actually, you'd have just been better off grabbing hold of the car, just holding on to A and just riding that sucker until the end. It's worth saying, though, that our last guy, Andrew from the Questers, he does know to hold on to the car because He does a lot better. He's also apparently completed Turtles on the first go. But Dave, going back to his old ways, he doesn't tell us if he's played that on easy because that means he's a Nancy boy, Luke. Yeah, there's a a lot of like, oh, playing games on easy. You should be playing games on hard. This is for quality gamers, etc, etc. But he does have a very low bar to overcome. And whilst he does miss the first van, he grabs onto the second vehicle that goes past and then he rides it and just punches the crap out of anyone else that tries to grab on. Like, this is what I love about Skitchin. This is the bit that I, I really enjoy. And it's what we didn't see in James or Chris's one. Like in James's run, he there's like there's like six seconds left and he hasn't even got onto a car yet he's just like he is in seventh and stays in seventh he does very very poor but andrew is where we finally get to see sketching in action which is grabbing out of the car other racers try to get on there and you have a little scrap with them and like because text at the start of this is just like pleading with dave just like please tell me he's gonna do better than that and he absolutely does and it is quite nice to see and it was much better playing but it was still like the, my biggest crushing disappointment of Series 3 so far. I felt bad for you watching this challenge because I know how much Skitchin means to you and you just want it to have a good outing. But I will say that Dex is, please say someone can do better than Seven and the way he kind of buries his head into Dave's shoulder. I proper gut laughed at that. That was funny as all hell. That's probably yeah. the funniest bit of interaction we've had between them since like the Christmas special. Yeah, well, that's also, it's the end of day filming, right? Like we can gather that from the crowd tiredness so i imagine like tex is probably tired himself so he's just ready for the, the day to be over so please just give me some good games playing 
whilst Andrew does a lot better, he does almost biff it because he falls over just as the clock hits zero. So if he'd done that three seconds earlier, he'd have probably been back down to six or maybe even seven. And then it would have been proper tits up. But as it is, he ends in third place. So he hasn't just won this. He's comfortably won this. Yeah, he has indeed. And so uh, let's go get some scores from Dexter Fletcher. Right, and here are the current standings. Laser Force and Foy Force both ended up in seventh position in the race, appalling. But because they equal second, they both get two points. Mm, be happy about that. But that means that the questions are way out in front at the moment with a monumentous five points. So we've got both Fowey Force and Laser Force on two because, well, they both came last. And because they both came last, it technically means they both came second. They both sucked equally, I think is yes. the take home from this. But Dex reminds us we're due some Room of the Future winners and they're going to be in the reviews. So check it out. It could be you. Yeah, nice little national lottery. It could be you. Although we're not going to get the national lottery for a little bit. So maybe we could say that Dex is the innovator of this. I would love to think that someone from the national lottery was watching Games Master Season 3, the team championships and saw Dexter Fletcher and went, we're going to rip that off. Oh, there it is. I've been looking for our hook. We finally found it. Tonight, we take a look at a new batch of basketball games in search of the top slam dunk in action. First is Hyper Dunk. With the ability to have eight players playing simultaneously, is this worth inviting your friends around for? Hyper Dunk is a bit of a disappointment. Your players amble around like geriatric Marvel superheroes, and there's a frustrating control mechanism. Shadows on the court are rubbish. Sprites are enough. There's no gameplay there. Mm, it's so so. It's one of the games that you bring your mate around, say, look, I just bought this new cat, play it for 10 minutes, and then you say, oh, can we take it back and get a refund? Now, this review section I found to be very interesting because this is the first review section we've had in all of Series 3 that is like this, which is something we haven't seen since Series 1 and Series 2, which is themed review zones. Usually it's just, here are games that are out at the moment, here's our thoughts on them, which I very much like and I, I actually much preferred. But yeah, this is a specifically themed uh, review zone. And it feels specifically themed so the Games Master can say, go and buy NBA Jam. Don't buy any other basketball game because all of them are bobbins. Go and buy NBA Jam. I mean, it is a fairly good public advisory because NBA Jam is brilliant. We, we oh, yeah. definitely covered this. But we do get some other games here. Uh, the first one up is Hyper Dunk, which is also on the Mega Drive which was also known as Double Dribble, the playoff edition, and released in Japan as Hyperdunk, the playoff edition. And then by the time it got to us here in Europe, it was just Hyperdunk, basketball game published by Konami for the Sega Mega Drive. It's the follow-up to Double Dribble. But an important thing about this game is it does support up to eight players. And that is quite cool. Now, it's not a licensed game, and therefore there are 16 teams to choose from. And basically, they resemble teams from the NBA. So, I don't know, the Windy City Cows? The Chicago Bills. The Charlotte Wasps. Yeah, the San Francisco 39ers, that sort of thing. I mean, I've been to a club in San Francisco, but we'll leave that story for another time and possibly <laughs> on a stream that's not censored. But appropriately for basketball, Luke, everyone dunks on this game. Don't they just? Yeah, we've got James Binns of Total, Alex Lee of Super Action and Brad Burton, our boy Brad, from Mega Action. And yet they're not like particularly keen on it. Like James really isn't impressed by it. Having this line where he says the sprites resemble Jerry or they move like geriatric Marvel superheroes. Yeah, and Alex Lee of Super Action is so keen to dunk on this game, he even picks on the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> 
Which is an argument that my friend, I've actually told this on the podcast before, it's an argument that my friend gave me as to why Mortal Kombat was better than Street Fighter is because they have actual shadows in Mortal Kombat, whereas in Street Fighter it's just circles. Yeah, but that's because in Street Fighter they're always fighting at midday, so the sun's directly overhead. That's why the shadows are the way they are. It's just logic, Luke. When you think about it, it is just logic. And then Brad, you know, calls it so-so, essentially. His argument is that you'll play it for 10 minutes and you want to go get a refund, which sounds about right. Like, it doesn't look particularly great. 58% it gets here. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not hugely impressed by the look of this. NBA Showdown is brought to you by the people behind the number one hit FIFA soccer. But have they got their act together when it comes to some slam dunk in action? Is it any good? Not bad, but... Like faithful sports sims everywhere, it gets a little tiring after a little while. I'd much rather have something a bit more exciting, with a bit more drive and oomph. There's no special moves in there. It's a standard arcade product. This one's lacking as far as I'm concerned. Too much strategy involved. Give it a miss, guys. Which is the same for NBA Showdown 94. It's an EA game, so they're kind of like the, the proposition they put forward here is that can this be the FIFA of basketball games? As it turns out, no. Because as Brad puts it, there's too much strategy involved. And James isn't too keen on it either. He says it's not bad, but like a lot of faithful sports simulators, it gets a bit tiring after a while. And Alex says there's no special moves in there and it's a standard arcade product. I find the special moves thing kind of weird because essentially that is just teeing up to say it's not NBA Jam. That's exactly it. That is the only reason he mentions special moves is because there are in NBA Jam. And like all of this, both of these reviews are just here to remind you NBA Jam is way better. And here is why NBA Jam is way better. Do you know what both of these first two reviews have in common? The score. 58% to both. Absolute bobbins. This is below that 70% threshold, Luke. I have no interest in checking these out. Well, maybe you'll have a bit more interest in our next review then. Taking a different approach, NBA Jam reduces teams down to two and puts the emphasis very much on speed. There's alley-oops, turbo passes, and 60 different kinds of dunks. But does this one break the backboard? This is the one. Fantastic graphics, sound, and gameplay to die for. The roars of the crowd, the jumps in the air, the crazy dunks. It's an absolute cogger. Can you play it and enjoy? It's absolutely massive. Because what a fucking surprise it's NBA Jam. And guess what? They absolutely love it here. And interestingly, I think this is also the shortest review of the three because it is three very quick sound bites of james going this is the one fantastic graphics sounds and gameplay to die for alex thinks it's an absolute corker and brad play it and enjoy it's massive 92 percent for nba jam well earned for nba jam as well like it's a game that we talked about a lot on this show because we had it released when it was in the arcades we've had it as a challenge in series three if you haven't played nba jam before now is the time to go out and you know give it a go yourself i think it still holds up i still think it's a hell of a lot of fun it is the basketball game of the 16-bit era it is also a game i think best enjoyed against someone else like it's one of those games that is fun against the computer but it takes on a whole new life when you're playing against another person i think at least one of the versions out there has some net code 
so you can do online play i hope so at least because if not they are missing a trick yeah an nba jam would get sequels you know it would get uh, not just like the tournament edition and things like that on the the mega drive it would get like 3d versions as well but they were never quite as good as this kind of first run that nba jam has and now the moment you've all been waiting for we name the winners of our room of the future competition thousands of you sent in replies some right some wrong but before we announce the lucky winners let's find out what the answers were to those mind-boggling questions Question number one, hidden behind that confusion printing was, how many Mario games in Mario All-Stars? The answer was four, of course. Question two, how many characters in Street Fighter 2 Champions Edition for the Mega Drive? Answer, 12. Question three, how many bits does the Atari Jaguar have? Uh, 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 was it 64? Yes, of course it was. Which, as you can see, gives us the code of 41264. And the winners were the first four to be picked out of our mailbag. The Amiga CD32 goes to Sarah Tong of Reddit. Yes, Sarah. The Philips CDI, complete with special cartridges that lets you watch movies as well as play games, goes to John M. Henry of Lancaster. The 64-bit Atari Jaguar goes to S. Ahmed of Liverpool. He's a lucky man. And finally, the legendary 3DO game system goes to Jonathan Rangel from Wolverhampton. Congratulations to you all. Endless hours of fun for the lot of you. But, Luke, it's the results we've been waiting for. It's the Room of the Future competition. The final code was 41264 and the winners were the first four to be picked out of the mailbag. Yeah, we've got Sarah from Reddit who won the Amiga 32. Do we decide that the Amiga 32 is the best of the lot? I suppose the PC is probably the best prize in this, but the Amiga 32 at least has got something with it. Well, you say the PC is the best prize in this. No PC is mentioned in oh, these no, results. It's, no, it's not, is it? But is the was the PC then just for the team championships? I could have sworn it was in the room of the future as well. I think it was just the team championships. Oh, right. Oh, in which case, then, the, a lot of these are just very bad. Well, I mean, the Amiga CD32 is certainly the best doorstop of the four. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, the CDI is a chunky old beast. Like, that will keep a lot of doors open. Makes a better footrest. Yeah, yeah, maybe. John Henry of Lancaster, he's got the best footrest. Uh, SR Med won the Jaguar, which I think if you were like on the playground, that feels like the best bragging rights that you got the 64-bit machine while your mates are playing on their crappy little 16-bit machines. I'm going to go home and play Cybermorph. Also, of all the machines, it had the longest life as a dental hygiene product mold. Well, yeah, there's that as well. Uh, and then Jonathan of Wolverhampton won the 3DO, your uh, prized possession, your white whale, uh, the 3DO. Ahead of its time. Absolutely <laughs> legendary. It's you and Trip Hawkins. I like, I just, they're like flying the flag for the 3DO. Have you ever seen me and Trip Hawkins in the same place? <laughs> I rest my case. Plastic surgery can do a lot and it can go wrong. But I do admire the bravery of the 3DO. And that's why I legitimately think it is the best of the four there. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably is, I suppose. I mean, it, it depends on what games that you manage to get hold of for the Jaguar. Like, oh, This is probably a good time to win a Jaguar, I guess, because you are going to get things like AVP. Doom's really good on the Jaguar, even though if it is a bit quiet. So there is like some decent games to be got for it. If you've got the money and, and you know, you are just a, you are limiting yourself to a very small library. The one thing the 3DO had coming up that the other three did not, probably one of the best ports of Super Street Fighter 2. That's very true, actually, yeah. But I think that is enough prizes now. At least I'm actually glad that we've seen the back of the room of the future. I'm sick of Dex talking about it. Um, let's get on to another challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? The platform game I've selected 
with Jim Parra for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants have four hits and 45 seconds to collect as many points as possible by gathering the jewels and destroying the villains lurking in the Emerald Forest. Look out for a key, as collecting this allows access to the further levels of the game where there are more points to be scored. I'll award five points for the winner, two for the second, and zero for the losers. We are playing Jim Power here on the SNES. Now, that sounds like an Amiga title, but it very much looks like a SNES game. Well, it was developed for the Super Nintendo and MS-DOS in 93. There was another Jim Power game, an earlier Jim Power game that existed, I think, for like uh, the Amstrad. And I might have gone on the Amiga as well, but... It totally sounds like that sort of thing, yeah. So there is some, some history there. There was also a Mega Drive version planned, but was cancelled late in development. Although, apparently, Pico Interactive in 2021 brought the Mega Drive version out, along with a brand new NES version and a worldwide release for the Super Nintendo version. Well, there you go. Jim Power has had a... Crikey, of all the titles on this, I never thought it'd be Jim Power that has got some news coming out of 2021. I mean, it was a French developer. It features several different modes of gameplay, including a side view platforming, the one we see here, a top-down view, a horizontal shooting section, and it follows the titular character Jim Power. It's a reinterpretation of that original game, which was called Jim Power in Mutant Planet. It does feature a soundtrack by Chris Hulsbeck, who did the soundtrack to Turrican. Mm. And Turrican has a banging soundtrack. And I'm sure this game sounds good. Not that you can tell in Games Master, because... Sound has been an issue this season. It is widely considered by gaming fans to be one of the most difficult games ever made. I was going to say, I mean, not just watching this challenge, but like even just watching the playthrough of it, it looks nailed. It's a one hit kill game. Well, you one hit and then you sort of you go back a few bits, but it just looks really, really tough because your enemies are just like rapidly running towards you. Now, the full title of the game is Jim Power, The Lost Dimension in 3D. And it is sort of 3D because it's one of those ones where your background's moving, kind of like um, like Super Castlevania. Well, not only that, but it actually came with 3D glasses. So there was a way to play it with the kind of the red, blue 3D glasses and get a bit more of a 3D experience. Oh, that's actually quite cool. But 3D or otherwise, yeah, this game looks tough as arseholes because it's a one-hit death, multiple lives. Knowing the connection with Turrican, a lot about this game reminds me of Turrican. Like the the kind of the style of shooting and running and the way power-ups and stuff appears. I've not sat down to play this yet. I will give it a shot because I imagine it's the sort of game I'm either going to stubbornly try and complete or play for 10 minutes and go sod it and go back to playing Dr. Mario. I think for me it's the latter of I will have a pop at it, I'll I'll give it a whirl, and then I'll just be like, actually, this is, it's too hard and it's not fun to play because of that fact. And I don't think that I would have the patience to try and get good at it. But our three competitors have 45 seconds each to get good at it. They also have four lives. But do they, though? So this is in, because they say at the start of this, you've got four lives to do. But you've actually got five 
And we know that you've got five because Robert of the Questers, who goes last, gets hit five times. They think it's four because it says four on screen, but zero counts as a life. So you actually have five. You can die four times. Ah, well, that's not what they say, though. Come on now. No, I didn't say that's what they said. <laughs> I'm saying that's what I'm saying. I'm saying the number four is the amount of times that you can die and continue. So, yeah. either way, there is another interesting side effect, and I don't know if it's because of the way these episodes have been captured or if it was like this on the original broadcast, but the way the game is interlaced or deinterlaced means that when you have that brief hit of invincibility, you can't see Jim Power. He's a cloud of pixie dust. Right, John of Laser Force is going to be playing Jim Power. Sounds like quite a good challenge. Dave is going to tell us all about his chances. Dave! Well, John says he can complete ghouls and ghosts in one hour, but once again, he doesn't tell us what level he completed he's it on. Level. And we think it's a bit dull anyway, completing games that yeah, fast, don't we? John of Laser Force is up first, and they tell us that he completed ghouls and ghosts in an hour, which is actually quite impressive. Even like, because like, they're like, you know, oh, we don't know what level he played it on. I don't care. That's still a really good, that's a great result. I've got a groundbreaking idea, Luke. If you're looking at the notes and you're seeing it goes, oh, John says he completed Ghouls and Ghosts in an hour. Doesn't say what difficulty, though. Do you know what you could do between takes, Luke? Ask them. You could ask them. Well, here's the thing. is like, I think they do ask them and they don't say anything. Oh, because they basically don't have any words to say at this point. I suppose yeah. that's, a fair, that's a fair point. It doesn't matter anyway, because apparently Dex and Dave think it's a bit dull completing games that fast which we get because we've got a few speed challenges on this as well where they are talking about how like playing games real quick is also really good they're a bit conflicted with their messages at times i think you've just encapsulated series three in, uh... <laughs> I think it is. but like our man john here his biggest mistake is that he misses a key he makes it through to like the locked door but because he didn't get the key about halfway through that section he basically just gets stuck and he tries to make his way back, but his time runs out. Uh, he gets 5,030 points. Basically, that one mistake kind of cost him, really. It really does. I will say, commentary here is a mess again. Those are the number of minutes he's got left. Gone he's almost there now, 15 seconds. There's also an icon with this. Go on, Jimmy Power. Those are the number of smart bombs he's Go got left. John. Also and I, I've kind of got a specific reason why I think it's a mess here, and I don't think it's actually Dex or Dave's fault. Because these episodes are so tightly put together dave has to explain how the game works whilst the challenge is happening and at the same time in this one dex is kind of doing play-by-play -play, going oh he's jumped onto the platform oh he's collected that point oh no he's died on the enemy so neither of them are doing a bad job they're just trying to do two different jobs at the same time and this is also compounded by there are some really hard cuts in this episode the minute a person stops speaking there is a cut and we're at the next point. And I think in part of that is because of the celebrity challenge coming up because you don't cut the macho man. But as annoying as the commentary was, I don't blame either of them because Dex is actually trying to do his job. He's not just making random noises. He's not just shouting. He is trying to describe what's going on on screen. Yeah, and I kind of feel bad for Dave in a lot of this as well because... You you say that you know he's got to like talk about the sort of machinations of the game, and he has to do that like in every single challenge that they play. And like 
every time and he does it for all three of the times they play the game as well or you know however many times they play the game on thing it'll always be like look into the bottom right corner that will tell you this up in the top left corner that will tell you this you want to watch out for this because that will do this up in your bottom right corner that will do you this and like he and even on fighting games you've got to look at the top that's where the energy bar goes down they're starting yellow now but if they go down to red that is bad and he has to like explain this again and again and again and again so then yeah you've got then Dex trying to do play-by-play over the top of him because otherwise it is just Dave saying the same thing over and over again and it is just it becomes really messy I, I think Dave probably has to do it once just do it in the first challenge he didn't need to do it for the other two on every single game that they play in the team championships but John despite the doubling back and missing the key he finishes with 5,030 points and also Luke down a shot Dex says, leaping like a lizard. He does. like a lizard. Oh, he bloody loves saying that phrase. He'd have loved Gex. <laughs> well, someone had to. Uh, Phil of Fairy Force is up next, whose claim to fame is that he beat Super Probotector on hard. That is a claim to fame. That's a spicy beat ball. I don't think I've done that. And I love Super Probotector. Although if he wants to get really tough, he should complete Contra 3 on hard because that's even tougher although he's not as good at the game here uh, as our man john was and like he actually gets through the door as well like he gets the key and he gets through the doors but um he only scores 4400 points 4420 600 points less than uh than john did i think part of the reason for that is he does use the invincibility boost to basically run through spikes rather than trying to go over the platforms but that also means he misses some collectibles and he misses some enemies to shoot so whilst he makes it further into the level, he misses some opportunities to score points along the way. But as it stands, he's in second place. Thankfully for Robert of the Questers, as the commentary team points out, he doesn't have to worry. His team is already through. He can just relax here. He can try and beat the score if he wants to. He can try and not do. He can basically just have a fun time playing this. And which is a good job, really, because he plays like shit and just loses all five of his lives. But because the commentary team have set up you've got four lives. When he loses his fourth life, they go, oh, that's it. The, the challenge is over. But then he just respawns again. So they're just massively confused. And the crowd are also confused because the commentary team have been telling you you've got four lives. He's racing to level. Man, you and he could be our first casualty. He's only got one hit easy, left man. on his icon at the top left side of the screen. That's it. He's down that badly. You've got one to get them. They're very, very oh. tough. You're in big trouble. One left. You can only take another seconds gone. Bye, bye, bye. He got 2,100 points. Like it really, like the the energy is sucked out of the room. I mean, thankfully, he doesn't last long on that last life. So the confusion is short-lived. He does die quickly, at least. I mean, he lasts less than 30 seconds into the entire challenge. But his final score, 2,100 points. Just as well, they weren't counting on that win. Yeah, absolutely. Rubbish. But like, let's find out how that has affected the scores. Well, the questions came last in that challenge, so they had nothing to their original five-point score from the first challenge. Foy Falls came second in that one, so that knocks them up to four. But way out in front of the moment is Laser Falls with a massive seven points. It looks like we've got to say goodbye to Foy Falls. Let's have a big commiserating cheer for them. Very Force, man, coming second in both of their challenges. But unfortunately, it's not enough. Four points will not get you through, which, as I said right at the start of the team championships, exposes how the scoring system doesn't quite work for this. 
But on the plus side, at least we don't have two teams with force at the end going through <laughs> to the final round. It's kept nice and neat because we got the laser force on seven and we've got the questers who essentially get through on their past glories. Yeah. And they're quite, you know, humble about this in their post-match interview as they're exiting, which just like, you know, the other teams were better on the day. Some nice sportsmanship we're seeing here. But like, this is one of those moments where you can see the crowd are so tired. I'm beginning to wonder, because we hear this whole better on the day a lot, to the point where I'm going, is there a production assistant that goes, right, if you can't think of anything to say, just say that you were good, but the other teams were better on the day? Because we've heard it, I'd say, in at least half i'd say more than half more than half i'd say because i think that like both teams that get eliminated probably say it like each episode well they got plenty of time to think of any better comebacks because guess what luke they're being ejected they'll have the bus ride home and that's that yes. so we've got two teams left they'll be battling out in the second half for their place in the semi-finals we've also got a mega celebrity challenge you've got to see it to believe it it's going to be mad Fancy a burger? No way. Fancy fish and chips? I don't. Fancy a pizza? Uh-uh. Fancy a change? Yeah! Try a KFC variety meal. Two pieces of original recipe chicken, two hot wings, regular fries, and a regular Pepsi, all for only $2.99. The variety meal at KFC, where great value never tasted so good. Now you can take Sonic around the world. <laughs> Make him loop the loop or walk the dog with this sonic spinner only from Kellogg's Frosties. There are four to collect with tokens on special Frosties packs. To be this great takes Frosties. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
them all, it's the second half of Games Master. Right, it's time for our celebrity challenge. It's going to be a bit of a mad one, this. Right, please give a big WWF star welcome to Macho Man, Randy Savage! Right, okay, so let's have a word with Randy. Randy, now, in between bashing heads, do you get much time to play computer games? Let me tell you something. I'm going to win the challenge. Not only am I going to win, but I'm going to win big, yeah, because that's where the Macho Man does it. Does Don't give him a chair! And coming out of the ad break, Oh, I mean, just last week I was saying the celebrity challenges in the team championships are just there. Like they're a bit pointless. They're not really doing anything. They're not really achieving anything. And one week later, what a difference seven days can make because we've got the macho man, Randy Savage, who comes out here looking amazing, cutting an amazing promo. This crowd may be dead. They may be tired. But the Macho Man is here to whip them back up into a frenzy. And he is awesome. Let's talk Randy Savage a little bit because we're not going to get many chances to do this. Randall Mario Poffo of the Poffo wrestling family. His brother Lanny Poffo, the genius, otherwise known as Leaping Lanny Poffo. His dad, Angelo Poffo, who, man, his dad only just passed away before Macho Man did. Because Macho Man died in 2011 and Angelo held in there until 2010 he had a a pretty good innings but the macho man 29 championship reigns during his 32 year career two as the wwf heavyweight champion four as wcw world heavyweight champion he was a one-time intercontinental heavyweight champion named as one of the best intercontinental champions of all times and has been credited for bringing a high level of credibility to the title through his amazing in-ring performances. I remember more of his intercontinental title runs than I do of his heavyweight title runs, but the feud I remember the most of all was him versus Jake the Snake Roberts. I was going to say, I assume that would be the one you'd go for because that is with the infamous, the snake biting the arm and like digging the, 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 the fangs into the muscles in the ring. It was just crazy looking back at that now. And I remember watching that on video from SilverVision because I didn't really have access to Sky. So I was seeing these way after broadcast. But he was just so captivating. And unlike good old red and yellow Hulk Hogan, and we know how that ended, but a lot of the other superstars, Randy Savage went back and forwards between being a good guy and a bad guy without ever really changing. He was always wearing outlandish costumes. Sometimes it was a hat, sometimes it was a crown. He always had that kind of deep, raspy voice. You can do it better than I can at the moment. Oh, thank you very much. Came out to pomp and circumstances, entrance music. He had his catchphrase of, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, dig it. And for most of his tenure in both WWF and WCW, he was managed by his real-life wife, Miss Elizabeth Hewlett. Oh, man, now you want to talk about like a sad story of professional wrestling. The story of Miss Elizabeth is just beyond tragic. Absolutely. And there are a lot of wrestlers from this time that talking about can be complicated. And I'm not going to say Randy Savage is free of that. He was an immensely paranoid individual, I think it's fair to say. I do think a lot of that came down to some things to do with his family upbringing. A lot of it came down to the politics of the WWF. Because it's not a case of he thought that a lot of people were out to get him. It was so bastard cutthroat back then that a lot of people really were out to get each other. None of this is anything I was aware of as a teenager. All I knew is was Randy Savage was just one of the most fascinating and exciting people to watch on television 
any time he was on screen, be it as a wrestler, be it as a commentator, be it as an in-ring interviewer, be it as a spokesperson for Slim Jim, be it as a cameo in Spider-Man. Boonsaw's ready! <laughs> Unlock the thing! Take the chain off! Hey, Brinkshaw! You're going nowhere! I got you for three minutes! Three minutes of bleak time! Albeit a Space Ghost's grandfather on Space Ghost Coast to Coast, where essentially he was just playing the macho man as Space Ghost. It was very surreal because he just kept talking about all the wrestling matches he had. Yeah. I don't even know where to start because also it's not like some of the wrestlers you get where their promo game is A+, and then that carries them in the ring. His promo game was A+, occasionally unclassifiable depending on the amount of cocaine he'd had. I'm thinking cream of the crop here. Cream yeah, of the yeah. crop is a very coke-fueled promo. Macho man nothing Randy. Nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. What do you mean by that? Or I'm talking about all the way to the top. Yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. But the cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. Macho madness. Yeah, has got more to offer. And President Jack Tunney thinks that I got. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Cards stacked against the Macho Man Randy Savage in WrestleMania. Let me say it here. Let me say it out loud. And let me point to the president of the World Wrestling Federation. The Macho Man Randy Savage is not happy with your decision. Yeah. I am the cream in the World Wrestling Federation. And there is no doubt about it. Yeah. You mean Gene Okerlund. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. But when he went in ring, his game was even higher. Yeah, he is like credited, like if you're not a wrestling fan, like he is credited for having some of the greatest matches in the early days of WrestleMania, um, whether that be against um, uh, Steamboat, like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat at WrestleMania 3 or against Ric Flair at WrestleMania 5, I think. Like he is just credited as like one of the greats in ring. Going back and looking at his matches now, they are still so good and so entertaining and they hold up. They just hold up. So many matches of that time don't because they're either very formulaic or very all hype and then a few minutes of action and lots of rest holds. Yeah. He just took stuff to an absolute another level. I felt horrible because, of course, I was going through earlier and I was just reminding myself of a bunch of stuff and I already knew how Randy died in 2011. He was driving along with his wife, uh, his childhood sweetheart, in fact, uh, Barbara Lynn Payne, who he got together with after his relationship with Elizabeth ended. And they were driving along. He was in his Jeep Wrangler and he became unresponsive. They did crash into a tree. And all I could think of was Red Dwarf, Lister, reading the letter about Rimmer's dad. Yeah. He's like, says he passed away peacefully in his Jeep, sleep. <laughs> and I felt <laughs> so fucking horrible for laughing at that point. But, ah. Yeah, Randy, Randy Savage is... He's a complicated man, a very, very complicated man, because, yeah, you had the the flamboyantness of his character. He was someone who was praised as an in-ring technician, and one of the reasons why he was praised so much for his wrestling matches is that he he scripted out every match that he would do, beat by beat. This is what we do. We start here, then we go to this, and he would have it written down, then we'd go to the guys like, this is what we're going to do tonight, and that, was, and that was it. He was the only one who did it, but he was massively praised for it. 
But then when other wrestlers would try and do it, who had learned that from Savage, people were like, you can't just script things. Like that's like when DDP went to the WWF during the invasion, he tried to present to The Undertaker, here's what we'll do in the match. And Undertaker sort of threw that being like, that's not how we do things here. And I was like, well, it was perfectly fine when Randy Savage did it. But Randy Savage also carried a gun. And Randy Savage was also <laughs> someone who, like, you know, he, he carried, he always had a gun in his gym bag. There's a brilliant episode of Dark Side of the Ring that if you've got now TV, you can watch the first season of. Uh, there's a brilliant episode on there of his relationship with Hulk Hogan, which has been, it's been documented a lot, but I don't think it's been as well documented as that Dark Side of the Ring episode. And the relationship between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage as characters and as them as real life people, because this was during the mega powers of them being the, 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 the tag team that had to come together, you know, against all odds, they had to come together. And they're sort of like, you know, their sort of mutual love for, for Miss Elizabeth. Uh, but Randy Savage to me is, it, particularly around here as well, like, you know, kind of look at this timeline, the WWF have pushed him out of the ring. Vince McMahon, the owner of the company, has sort of looked at him as one of the old term, uh, one of the old guard. And with WWF Raw now on TV, they want to be pushing a new crop of talents. So they move him over to the commentary desk, which he found incredibly frustrating because he felt that he still had it as an in-ring performer. So when he leaves in 95 and he goes to WCW, he steps back into the ring as an in-ring performer and he just has another run with it. For me, though, Randy Savage is always going to remind me of my university years because that is when he released his rap album. I used to play tracks off of his rap album on my radio show at Portsmouth University because particularly Be A Man, which is, is his diss track on Hulk Hogan, is absolutely wonderful. I am very curious how seriously Randy Savage took some aspects of his career. It is worth saying, and we'll get into this, he's having a lot of fun here. He is totally the pro and he is rolling with every single punch. And I think this may be my favorite. This is certainly my favorite celebrity wrestling challenge. Easily. This may be my, this is definitely my favorite series three celebrity challenge. Hands down. Definitely, I'd say actually in the top two or three for the entire Games Master thus far. Completely agree. I've got almost the exact same notes written down. It's amazing, really, because the actual challenge itself is shit. <laughs> it's actually, we've had it three fucking times as well. It's exactly the same as the Super WrestleMania challenge, and it's exactly the same as the Royal Rumble challenge we had with um, with the Utah Saints. Like, and now we're just getting it here. It's the same game. Let Let's get on to actually Randy Savage himself because he comes out. And he is acting like he's headlining WrestleMania. He's high-fiving. And I swear, as he gets to the stage, there is a kid that shouts, Dig it! <laughs> I don't know if that's what they actually shouted. 
But in my mind, it's like cheeky nuts. I believe that's what they shouted. Check out yeah. the Patreon episode on Supermarket Sweep if you want to know what I'm talking about with that one. Like he immediately just gets up there. And last week I was talking about how a lot of these celebrity guests are just like, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Do you play games? Yeah, you know, I've got whatever it is at home or no, I don't really. And they're just like, you know, dads are just like, Macho Man just goes instantly. Oh, hello, I'm the Macho Man. Here is a promo from me. Because they like, do you ever get time to play games? He hasn't got time to answer that question because he's got a promo that he wants to cut. And it's just awesome. He's going to win big because that's what the Macho Man does. Yeah. Okay, lovely little lady. Tell us your name. Yeah, you understand that I'm the Macho Man. You're going to get beat. You got to understand that. Yeah. No, no, she doesn't you. understand. She, she what? I'm gonna crash you. Ooh, brave work from B there. And then he goes out to like pick this audience <laughs> member. Out. This Bertha is the girl that he pulls in, and like you know, Bertha's like, "Are you gonna win?" And he it just goes, "Understand, I am the macho man." <laughs> and then, but I love my favorite thing about this, and I absolutely love it, is the Dex goes like, "Oh, you're gonna win, Bertha," and she goes, "Yeah," and Macho sells it. And he's like, are you? And she goes, yeah, I'm going to thrash him. And Macho sells it even bigger, but like throws his hands up. He's like, I can't, I cannot believe she just said that, man. It's so, so good. I honestly, my exact note was he sells this like he's just opened a wedding present box and seen a snake. It's that <laughs> kind of reaction. My favorite bit of Macho Madness, because that is what we're getting. We're getting the Macho Madness here, is when Dex goes, oh, you're going to go down there and pick out someone. It's just as Dex goes, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> like the concept, he was just going to fuck <laughs> off out the fire escape. <laughs> well, I mean, he probably saw Jim Duggan in series. where it's like, hey, old tough guy. I'm just like, going to go back and go, WWF Super Nintendo and just drag someone out of the crowd. And it's one of the reasons why like the wrestlers on these shows have been so much fun is because they've not just been actors. They have been, they to play their own characters and they are never out of character. And it's, it, it's such a different kind of energy. And I apt, I cannot get enough of this. Anyway, we like, we talked enough about Macho Man. For now. <laughs> For now. <laughs> what are we playing, Games Master? For my celebrity challenge, I've selected the WrestleFest Rage in the Cage for the Sega Mega CD. Our vulgar Royal Rumbler and his gracious opponent must grapple, for all they're worth, in a single round fight to the finish to determine who takes away my special golden joystick. Remarkably, we've not... Ha- I mean, obviously, we've had this game three times over now, but we haven't had a lot of Mega CD challenges. So this is quite a nice one, really. This is WWF Rage in the Cage on the Mega CD. But, yeah, it's exactly the same sprite and exactly the same match that we got on um, Super, Super Nintendo WrestleMania back in Series 2 and Royal Rumble back in uh, with the Utah Saints in Series 3 earlier. Now, this is Rage in the Cage for the Mega CD, as you said, and it is, of course, an evolution of the 16-bit LJN game, Super WrestleMania, uh, Super Royal Rumble, and, of course, the Mega Drive equivalents. And whilst it features full-motion video clips in the game's opening video, as well as clips of the wrestler's signature moves that you can move on the wrestler select screen and clips that play of the wrestler celebrating and so on and so forth, it features audio intros by the Fink, Howard Finkel, rants between the competitors prior to the match. It's also a step backwards. Now, this is a CD format game. I've never played this game, and I've never seen it in action either, but I would have assumed that it would have CD quality entrance music and not and not chip and not chip tune renditions. It uses the same 16-bit style synth music that was used on the SNES version of Royal Rumble. 
that's so weird. That's such a lazy thing to do. And it features 20 wrestlers, the most that have been seen in a WWF game up until that point, including a number of tag teams, including Money Inc., the Head Shrinkers, and the Nasty Boys. Guess what isn't in the game? You know, there's no, well, you're saying there's no tag match in there. Nope, single player games only. But there were tag matches in Super WrestleMania and in Royal Rumble. There were tag matches in WrestleMania Challenge on the NES. Yes, I know. But the reason I'm bringing those, because like it's the same game, it's the same mechanics, it's the same, like it's the same board, basically. To have removed that, like I'm assuming the cage match is an option. Yes, there is. Yeah, I would have assumed so. It's called Rage in the Cage. Maybe that is it. Maybe they went, we've got the cage in. That's it. That's the gimmick. Maybe they couldn't work out how to make tag teams work with the cage graphics. Although that's a bollocks reason not to include them all together. And certainly space shouldn't have been a concern. They want a f***ing CD. They didn't even include the CD music. There was plenty of space. (laughs) There's so much space here. This fit onto a 16-bit cartridge. I've actually got the Q and bin files for this because I've been playing around with customising the Mega Drive Mini. How big do you think the image for this game is? Now, keep in mind, there's probably a little bit of compression, but rough ballpark, how big do you think this game actually is? I wouldn't have a blues clue where to start. 650 meg, standard capacity for a CD at this point, yeah? Mm-hmm. 240. Yeah, I mean, that does sound like it is. It is not using the mega CD uh, capabilities to their most. I bet you if I explored that, like 230 of that is probably the video they did include. One, I guarantee it is. Guarantee it is. There's no excuse. There is absolutely no excuse to not have tag team games in this, particularly as the Mega Drive. Come on, man. Multi-taps, four-player. Get with it. Come on now. Well, I suppose it was obvious, really. WWF raging the cage. We've got Randy Savage playing against Bertha. Dave, Randy Savage, what are his chances? Well, I've seen the WWF and I'm not too convinced. I want to tell Randy and all the WWF here on Games Master we do it for real. And he's going to have to be on top of his form if he's going to beat Bertha because he'll get crushed because she's playing his nemesis, Crush. And also come on Dave because Dave cuts a promo on wrestling, essentially calling out for being fake. I can only assume that Macho Man did not hear him. This, he is an old school guy. Old school guys do not like people talking about wrestling being fake. They kick up a storm for that sort of chatter. That, or maybe he did hear him, but he is such a consummate professional. He's like, I'm sat next to this young girl that's quite nervous. I'm surrounded by kids. I'm a visitor in this country. I don't want to get banned by, like, killing a games journalist. Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager. I will just have words with him after this is all said and done and show him my gun. I would love to be the customs agent that went through Randy Savage's gym bag on the way in. But the characters they're playing is we've got Randy is playing as Randy and Bertha is playing as Crush, who at this point in time is Randy's arch nemesis, which firmly places this in the last quarter of 1993 because Crush had spent some time off with a back injury. They'd kind of written him off TV after taking part in a body slam challenge, which Randy Savage had encouraged him to take part in. He failed to body slam Yokozuna. Yokozuna, the big sumo wrestler, for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, did a number of Banzai drops, which are essentially he jumps and sits on the guy. And that gave him the excuse to be off TV. Crush came back, decked Randy Savage, and then aligned himself with Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji, and grew an evil goatee, dyed his hair, went with a different face paint. But in this game, if I remember correctly, this is Babyface Crush, 
and heal Randy Savage. Yeah. Not that you could tell because, as I said, Randy Savage, babyface or heel, there's very little difference in appearance or generally persona. It's also a WWF game at this point where the sprites tend to look very similar to each other as well. And like they are, like Dave says, oh, Crush is the one with the yellow mullet and Randy Savage is the one with the black long hair. But actually, like if you were to just look at them outside of the hairs, you probably would not be able to tell which one was which. And yeah, this is the same as all the other WrestleMania challenges that we've had. Be that on Super WrestleMania, be that on Royal Rumble, be that here, which is just a lot of, whiffing kicks whiffing punches not really doing the grapple going to the outside going up top is it the best of the ones we've had i mean also including uh, wrestlemania challenge from series one with kendo nakazaki is this the best of the quadrilogy i know it's the one that i enjoyed the most that well that's what i was thinking because i'm like i think <laughs> i think it is but i think it's only because i like macho man so much also, it's not entirely one-sided. He does get some offence in, which is amazing because, Luke, you can see those sunglasses he's wearing. Yeah. Do you think he can actually see anything through them? Well, I don't think you can because there are times during this where you can see him looking down at the pads with like almost like Jim Duggan levels of, what do I press? I've just been like, uh. I mean, the sunglasses, for those of you that haven't checked out the episode, it's not just kind of like, ooh, standard shades in a dark room. They're also kind of like, bedazzled they've got kind of jewels and decals on them which means he's almost kind of like viewing through a very narrow kind of cheap geordie laforge costume kind of window so yeah his peripheral vision or indeed ability to focus very restricted it should also be pointed out as well that they also match his hat and his jacket because the macho man had style guy had an entire set of that outfit just for when he was doing public appearances for slim jim they were in the slim jim red and yellow but yeah, lots of punches, lots of missed kicks. Um, Randy falls out to the floor at one point. They tr- he tries to do a dive again and he misses. And then basically Crush just hits one kick. Randy's down. It's not very good at all, but I had fun. The challenge itself is absolutely shit. <laughs> it's shocking. Randy can't play the game. Bertha can just about. I don't think we get a single lockup or a grapple. We, we get one on the outside because um, I think Savage gives a head. Well, Savage or Crush gives a headbutt, but that's literally about it. Yo, Luke, it doesn't matter. This is still the best celebrity challenge of season three because it's the macho man, Randy Savage. Here's the journey that I went on with this, which is like, man, that intro was so awesome with macho man picking Bertha out from the crowd. This is so great. Oh man, this challenge is a bit bobbins. Oh man, the post-match is absolutely brilliant. I'm having a wonderful time again because macho is like, he just goes like, I didn't just get beat. I got whooped. whooped. Macho man. Well done, Brian. said, what went wrong? I didn't get beat. I got whooped. Bertha, congratulations right there. I want to ask you a question. Uh, in the future, if I have to go against Yokozuna and Crush, will you be my tag team partner? Of course. Sounds like a great offer. Together, but... we'll be the tower of power. Too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit. Space is the place. Yeah. Bertha and the macho man. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> so good. And then, and I love this so much. He's like, oh, Bertha, if I got a team up against your Kozuna and Crush, will you be my tech team partner? And Bertha's like, yeah. And then Macho goes instantly like, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, space is the place. And it's all of this. I just, just love him. He's so great. 
And if I was anywhere near Bertha, I'd be like, I'd check out what happened to his last tag team partner because this is not a relationship that will go well. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I, I really, really enjoyed that. Bertha is happy. The macho man is macho mad. And the thing that I love the most is that Dex is then going, oh, okay, cool, right. Now helping the helpless in the consultation zone. Meanwhile, you can still see flashes of Macho Man because he's still cutting promos and working the crowd. <laughs> so, so good. Oh, we will never see his kind again because as good as some of the people out there are now, as good as some of the people that came between then and now were, just walking into a room commanded attention, especially without outfit. Yep, he was a one of a kind. Hello, and a very fine welcome to you all. My towering knowledge is again ready for another batch of little queries. I've heard that there's a secret track on Lamborghini for the SNES. Can this be true? There is, but be warned, only experts on the game will be able to find it. First of all, you must use your driving skills to get yourself into the highest division in the racing league. Now, while you're on the New York circuit, click the pointer on the American flag. Hey, Pesto, you'll be introduced to a crazy, psychedelic track that's longer than any other in the game. Thanks very much, Games Master. Well, this is a very weird way to kick off the consultation zone because it's a hidden track in Lamborghini on the Super Nintendo, and it's essentially racing across the American flag. Like, Games Master calls it a psychedelic level, and it is just this ginormous American flag that you're racing across. A reference I'll make that no one will get because I don't think any of our listeners will have seen this, but... I get the psychedelic thing because it does look like the introductory sequence to the Grateful Dead movie, where, amazingly, for a band that was based out of 1960s San Francisco and the hippie movement and the acid tests, it's a bit trippy, Luke. And there is a scene where they're driving along a road, animated, and there's a stars and stripes in the sky and it's kind of pulsing in time with the music. So I was watching this and going, yeah, Games Master's a Grateful Dead fan, I see. Rock on. <laughs> Uh, Lamborghini American Challenge, it was for the SNES. It was previously released as Crazy Cars 3. It also came out for the Amiga CD32, the Atari ST, the Commodore 64, the Game Boy, and MS-DOS. They added a two-player mode, a few more options, and it got a jazz fusion soundtrack because if there's one thing you associate with Lamborghini owners, it's pretentious jazz fusion. I mean, legitimately, I would associate that with Lamborghini owners. Apologies to any Lamborghini owners listening. We don't have any Lamborghini owners listening. We might have someone that owns this game listening. That's probably about as close as we get. Uh, the races take place across all of America, as the hint kind of indicates. And bizarrely, the Super NES version supported the mouse and Super Scope. Oh, that's cool. I'd love to try and play this on the Super Scope. Well, when you have either of those accessories plugged in, you can access a different game mode in which it is possible to destroy your opponent by shooting them. No kidding. That's a precursor to Carmageddon. <laughs> I can complete Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition on the Mega Drive easily, even on the hardest level. Is there any way of making it harder, please? What's your joypad like? Does it have six buttons? Luckily, I can help you out here, then. Turn your machine on, and when the Capcom logo appears, enter this code. Down, Z, up, X, A, Y, B, C. Now, all the normal kicks and punches are deactivated. 
And to make your opponent feel something, you'll have to do a special move on them. That's great, Games Master. Brilliant. Now, the next one is, is quite an interesting one because Games Master talks about Street Fighter and he's like, do you have a six-button pad? Well, how many buttons does your controller have? Does it have six? That's quite a personal question for this time on a Thursday evening. Yeah, but it's a good job that he's got a six-button pad because he gives them the code uh, on how to do this on a six-button pad. And it's a really cool one as well because it eliminates punches and kicks, which means you can only do special moves to kind of get your way through your special champ edition. However... You can do this on a three-button pad. It's just a different code. Ah, interesting. I'd be honest, I'd never heard of this cheat code before. And as soon as I heard it, I made a note, like literally a physical note to try this. Yeah. Because I really want to like play a game of Street Fighter where I can only use special moves. That sounds like a great challenge. They should have that in Games Master as a challenge, but you would need two people that were actually seriously good at Street Fighter to make it entertaining. Yeah, if you are looking to do this at home and you've only got a three-button pad, uh, on the Capcom logo, if you press down at C, up, A, A, B, B, and C, you get the exact same code as Games Master gives you, or the exact same cheat, which is for a three-button version. I will say, just as a last note, this kid is a cocky little shit, but I respect his game. <laughs> anyway, let's get into our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? My final challenge tonight is on Legends of the Ring for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants must unsettle and crush their opponent in a single round points victory or a knockout. The judge's decision is final. This was reviewed back in episode 17, got 78%, and they weren't like massively keen on it there because they talked about like the, the sort of the big thing they said was that it's despite being 3D, it's got a very 2D feel to it. But you said uh, as you were reading out sort of like the, the history notes that you found that the American version of this had all of the sponsorship deals in there from the hotel and from HBO, which then says to us that it, this is the American version we're playing here. Or that they didn't remove it for the European version. It was definitely not present in the Japanese version, but I'm not sure how much of a shit they gave when they released it over here. I mean, HBO didn't really mean anything. Uh, I suppose Hilton did exist as a brand over here, certainly in London, but... I'm not sure how much they cared, but I would guess, I think, that this might be the Mega Drive version looking at the date this would have been filmed in. I would have thought this is probably just the, the review ba the review board, basically. So, Legends of the Ring, we've got Sean of Laser Force and Robert of the Questers. They're both up. They're going to be battling it out. Dave, tell us what their form is and tell us what characters they're fighting with. Well, Sean's going to be playing as Jake LaMotta, the Bronx Bull, and Robert's going to be playing as Rocky Graziano, so it's an old-time battle. The two very different players because Sean failed his audition for the show but got uh. in on the strength of his team, whereas Robert passed with flying colours. Right, so it's going to be one round of boxing action. We've got Sean of Laser Force, Robert of the Questers, they're squaring up. Sean is the Bronx Bull, and Robert is Rocky Graziana. <laughs> Dave calls this an old-time battle, and it is an old-time button mash, is what it is. Yeah, like, if it feels like Rocky Graziana takes a lot of it early, but then it gets a bit more even, and then it's... I mean, it comes down to points in the end, but I never really got the sense that one was more than the other, which is actually quite... Like that that's reflected in the scores that come up at the end. I did think the shade thrown at Sean was a tad unfair before this challenge. Because before the challenge begins, Dave's like, yeah, Sean failed his audition, but managed to get a gimme on the strength of his team. Robert passed with flying colours. And I did think, okay, you could have mentioned that earlier. That's fine. But to do it on the final challenge as he's sitting down to play, that feels a little bit unfair. That's like a little bit like heckling almost. 
Yeah, he, like Davis done this a couple of times through the team championships. I don't mind it, to be honest, because I think it's kind of like it's a nice bit of color to paint around this, particularly as a games player to be like, he actually didn't qualify, uh, but his team kind of got him through. I think it adds a nice bit of sort of, yeah, color to the, the challenge, I suppose. I suppose I'd feel differently if he was out of earshot of the kid, because they do cut to the kid and it does look like it wounds him a bit. Hmm. They do go back and forth. There is one mechanic in this game that I like in that there is a boxing glove at the top of the screen and that measures how many punches you can throw. And if you wear that boxing glove down, you've got to kind of rest and block to let it charge up again. So realistically, this should allow for a more strategic game. Unfortunately, these guys aren't familiar enough with it. So it does just turn into button mashing until they can't throw punches and they have to take a breather. And that is really reflected in the final scores that we get because Robert scores 10 while Sean gets nine. And that breaks down to 54 versus 53 punches landed. So like basically the same number, but Robert's uh, had 54% of his land while Sean only had 48% of his land. So that's basically what gives him the point score. So, so close. Like it wasn't a classic challenge and it wasn't a technical masterpiece. But the challenge did feel close on the back and forth of where the blow's landing. And Sean, right at the end, gets a flurry of uppercuts that genuinely made me think, ooh, he might have this. They were some hefty blows. But because it came down to points, they didn't count the strength of the blows. They just counted whether they landed. So I guess that's where he lost it a bit. Plays the balls. Let me get in the middle. Let me get in the middle. Okay, okay. Let's have a little shout of teams. Plays the balls. What went wrong? He got lucky. He got lucky. He did get lucky. You think it was, it was quite a close bout, wasn't it? Well, it was, yeah. It'd usually be a draw, but well, I say you got lucky. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, I suppose the better team won. Would you say you're the better team? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're the better team. Yeah, of course. You had a good time then, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting ready with me then, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you whether with me or not. Well, well done. You're through to the semi-finals. Good luck. Well done. I don't know where this confidence has all of a sudden come from, the questions, because they've been so quiet all show. The confidence comes from the fact that they probably met the macho man and they've just realised they're in the semi-finals. <laughs> Life isn't getting much better for them at the moment. And that is the semi-finals is next week we are kicking off. So here are the teams that we have got going through. We've got the Turbo Destructors, the Git, the Humberside Hawks, the Dream Team, the Nightmares, the Mega Maniacs, Take This, the Elite Three and the Questers. Next week, our first semi-final is the Humberside Hawks versus the Dream Team versus our boys the gits and i am team gits through and through me too i am definitely absolutely team git i am i'm looking forward to this semi-final next week and it's gonna see a slight format change once again but we'll get to that in seven days time luke what did you make of the episode i mean basically the celebrity challenge is what saves this because the skitching challenge as much as i love the game is not great the gym power challenge is not great. The Legends of the Ring challenge is not great. I don't think the teams are that great. I don't think the review zone is that great, although it is lovely to see NBA Jam. And I did quite enjoy the Street Fighter um, hint in the consultation zone. However, the celebrity challenge of Macho Man Randy Savage playing Rage in the Cage is so, so good. And I've watched it multiple times now. Like It's, it's just terrific and wonderful i cannot say enough good things about it it made me walk away from this episode with a much higher opinion than it would have done if this had had like a bobbin celebrity challenge this would have been a real like avoid episode but it's so worth going out of your way to see the macho man challenge 
Absolutely. You you can realistically kind of like skip a good chunk in the middle of this episode and you won't you won't miss much. But I'm I'm kind of with you on this one. I felt bad about this kitchen challenge because I wanted this to be a great challenge so you could be like, <laughs> see, see, this is yeah. why it's so great. And sorry, mate, didn't, no, didn't it, work it, out. It, it, it didn't, didn't work, work, did it? No. Uh, seeing the love for NBA Jam, that was nice. It was very much a loaded deck against every other basketball game. But realistically, they could have put any other basketball games in there and they wouldn't hold a candle to NBA Jam at this point. It was a legit phenomena. Gym Power was an interesting game to see because it's not a game that was on my radar in the slightest. We get the Celebrity Challenge. I'm not even going to talk about it anymore because you said it. I'll say it now. Just go watch this challenge. It's so good. Consultation Zone was fun. I actually got a good chuckle out of the Lamborghini Challenge one because it was just this tiny little girl being a petrol head. I thought that was funny. I'd much rather seen the original Punch-Out or something like that for this last challenge. Boxing games are a way off being that entertaining. I did like how close it was because the match did feel close, even if it didn't feel technically excellent. I don't know. It, it, I find myself conflicted because this this is definitely an episode saved by the Celebrity Challenge. <sighs> you see, and I, was, I was trying to think of this as we were just chatting along then because it's such a good Celebrity Challenge that it makes me want to go high 80s. But everything else about the episode, I don't think kind of warrants it. Like, I feel like the, the Celebrity Challenge keeps it in the 80s. That much I, I know. So I'm wondering if I should go mid-80s. The one thing I would say on the Skitchin thing, and, and kind of what irks me about Skitchin being on this and not being great, is that if that challenge was on the first half of Series 3 or Series 2, it would have been so much better because it would have just been a full race. And that would have been and it would have just been like the road rash challenge that we had which is just like you're on the vancouver stage place first on it and you would have got to see a much more a, a better going of skitching here when it's 45 seconds get the furthest you can i, I don't think works so it's like the celeb so it's like the team championship kind of takes the fun out of it i think for the episode though i'm going to go 85 percent i'm gonna go with 86 percent because 86 was the year that Randy Savage won the Intercontinental title. In a dirty finish to the match, he won it by using an illegal object to knock out Tito Santana. Eight years prior to this, roughly. I feel that's a good omen. I'm going to go with 86 and say that even though it's not our highest rated episode of season three, watch it for the Celeb Challenge, if nothing yeah. else. Absolutely. Well worth going out of your way to, to see that. And that is going to do it for this episode of Under Consultation. Um, I don't know how long this episode will cut down to, but it's a two hour record time. So it'll be interesting to see what the actual run length of this one is. I am going to be vicious with the scissors on my end, at least. <laughs> yeah. But then I know you add more stuff back in with the clips. So <laughs> I it's it's going to be a chonker. Cecil in, get a nice cup of tea. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening you all rule please do uh, consider following this podcast if you haven't already uh, and find us on social media we're on twitter at under console pod on instagram at under dot console and you can send us an old-fashioned email to feedback at under consultation.com do remember that we are looking for your feedback to the end of series three for our series three wrap-up so get it set across do get in touch and if you're not old-fashioned, if you're a modern, hip, young thing and you're down with the kids, you can join our Discord where we have a small but thriving community right now. There's been lots of chat about games and gaming systems we've passed on. There's been lots of feedback on recent episodes, including our interview with Dominic Diamond, our Patreon-only episode on Supermarket Sweep. 
And also recently, we've started to exchange gamer tags so people can maybe start playing games online, doing our own little challenges, little bits of fun. Stuff can happen. Details of this are in the show notes and on our social media. And if you do want to hear that Supermarket Sweep episode, it is on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where we do under consultation extra. We've reviewed things like Real Ghostbusters, Crystal Maze, Funhouse, recently Supermarket Sweep. We've got a whole host of stuff that's going to be going up there in the coming months as well. It's a community poll, and we also have a community podcast that you can get in touch with and listen to on a monthly basis, which is a great lot of fun. And at the £5 level, you get next week's episode one week early, and ad-free, but at the £10 level, you get something a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? They get a Patreon-exclusive mug. They get retro sweeties, retro trading cards, Power Rangers at the moment. They get under-consultation stickers and badges, some of which are exclusive to Patreons. And they get £5 off our first under-consultation T-shirt, which can be bought along with regular badges, mugs and stickers at underconsultation.com. And just on the quick subject of that under consultation community podcast or under console nation as we call it it is also one of the few chances you get to see me and luke record live because we stream it for patreons and so all the fuck-ups that we normally cut out are absolutely present and correct we were punch drunk on the last one and it really shows. But you know what? It was a lot of fun. And a shout out to our £10 backers, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Colin, Cliff, Carol, Adam Warrington and Adam D. Thank you all so much. We love and appreciate every single one of you. But that is going to do it for this episode. We will see you in seven days' time for the first semi-final of the team championships. Take care, everyone. Dig it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.